Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. As part of our Everyday Wisdom series, when I first started this, I suggested you maybe consider reading the proverb of the day. Proverbs has 31 chapters, and so if you read whatever day of the month it is, that chapter, you're actually going to get through the book about once a month. And I just think it's a great way to grow in wisdom. I mean, what better way than just to read some of the most enduring wisdom ever written down? Just it's a short chapter, easy to do. If you've been doing that, you've already been inundated with what we're going to talk about today. Because what we're going to talk about today is this stark theme. It is a so blatantly talked about as a major demarcation point between wise living, which leads to blessing, and foolish living, which leads to destruction. To get into that, we're going to start with an interesting fun fact about pineapples. I got the idea from Jeremy, who did a fantastic series called Swipe Right by the same name of a book with the the youth. And so shortly after Columbus sailed the ocean in 1492... Uh, during the 15s and 1600s, the discovery of pineapples in the New World, actually, if you don't know the history of it, set set the world on fire. It was like this alien fruit that looked a little bit like a pine cone, but was juicy like an apple, so they were really original and called it the pineapple. It became the most glamorous, exotic fruit in Europe, so much so that you actually see pineapples on the steeple tops of art on St. Paul's Cathedral in London. At the time, to taste a pineapple was very likely the defining food moment of anyone's life in Europe. At its peak, one pineapple in Europe sold for, get this, $8,000 in today's dollars. Some people would buy the pineapple and they wouldn't even eat it. But instead, they would host parties, or they would rent a pineapple from somebody to host parties so everyone could come and see this mysterious alien fruit. And they'd go back to all their social circles and brag that they had seen one. They would just gaze with admiration and wonderment at the fruit until it rotted. Imagine that. Sitting with glee, inviting your friends and neighbors, all of the social important political leaders of the day, over to your house to pineapple watch and some of them even hosted multiple parties because they wanted to see it turn from green to yellow wow and then smell it when it was rotting they had sniffing parties today the pineapple is just another fruit readily available year-round how many of you host pineapple viewing and sniffing parties today no hands good because you'd be a very lonely strange sad person if you did that Nothing has changed about the pineapple itself, only how readily available it is, and as a result, our attitude toward the pineapple has changed. The pineapple metaphor is a very applicable metaphor for sex in our world today, which is the focus of what we're going to talk about from Proverbs today. Something so privately special has become so publicly available and consumed. Now this message, just, just make sure you hear this, this message is not just for married people or sexually active people. If you're single, even if you never have sex, this message can transform your life and how you think about sex and help you find wisdom and experience a more full and complete life with or without sex. 
Well, why is sex such a big topic today? Because it is a big deal in our culture, in our lives. Today, sex is more pervasive, made probably more pervasive than any culture in the past. In excess of 70% of the TV shows and media that we consume have sexual content, and they average five sex scenes per hour. You stand in the supermarket aisle, and you're inundated with headlines, and it sells. Sex sells. Wendy uh, noticed some of these headlines from this last week, but notice there are no magazine pictures on the screen of these headlines for obvious reasons. Cosmo headlined your sexoscope for this weekend. In other words, what your horoscope says about your sex life this past weekend. If you're relying on your sex horoscope for your quality of sex life, you're in trouble. Redbook headlined this, said 28 sex games that guarantee more fun in the bedroom. Five workout moves that make your sex life uh, hotter. Even Reader's Digest got on the sex bandwagon with a headline, 31 natural libido boosters to help you have better sex. Pornography has exploded in the last 15 years through the internet. Just one site alone has 64 million viewers per day. 40 million people in America regularly go to porn sites. Every second, now that's second, not every minute, every second, $3,000 is spent on internet pornography. Online pornography is increasingly, according to research by the government and other institutions, targeting 10 to 13-year-olds, with kids 10 years and younger now accounting for, get this, 22% of all porn that is viewed online. Over-sexualizing and desensitizing our youth and children. Research shows pornography among teens actually increases teen pregnancy, and it negatively affects moral development even beyond sexual behavior. It increases depression. It adds to lowering self-esteem, increasing all of the other related self-esteem struggles we already face in life. Pornography increases marital infidelity by over 300%, and today 56% of those filing for divorce say porn porn is a major contributing factor in their life. The Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, noted that research shows a significant decrease in gray matter in the brain among people who watch porn. That's really important stuff in your brain, meaning porn causes actual brain-stunting damage. Numerous other research articles, including JAMA, conclude porn is as addicting as drugs and as damaging as drugs to social and mental health. In fact, 47% of families in America self-report porn as a problem in their family. How many more families aren't self-reporting because they don't realize or recognize it as a problem yet? It used to be a male-only problem, but today it's approaching the fastest-growing segment of porn watchers are women, now around 33%. Women as well, according to Google research stats, are far more likely than men to use the search term hardcore porn and other abusive types of searches for porn on the Internet. Americans spend about $12 billion a year on internet porn. Combine that with the fact that they conservatively estimate that businesses lose $16.9 billion a year in productivity because of workers viewing porn while at work. That totals in America alone a $29 billion annual impact. 
Let's put that in perspective. Last year, Americans gave $114 billion to religious organizations in the U.S. If what was spent on porn was given to the cause of Christ, we could increase every church budget by 25% or more in America today. Sex is everywhere. It's sought after. It's valued. It's pursued. And studies, not just religious studies, government and secular studies increasingly show most Americans are finding sex to be less than they hoped for and far less than God intends it to be, the good that he intends it to be. Instead, sex is all too often, uh, activities like porn and sex are all too often causing pain and problems in our lives. So to attack this from the wisdom of Proverbs today and, and, and look at it, we're going to look at it first by looking at three cultural myths that affect Every one of us in our view of sex that we see in Scripture and they are still present in our modern worldview today. Two of those myths undervalue sex. One of them actually overvalues sex in a damaging way. Then we're going to talk about sex as God designed it and we're going to close the message off today with some wisdom tips to enjoy a healthier view of sex from Proverbs and the Apostle Paul that can add value and enjoyment in life to us whether we are married and having sex or even whether we are single and we abstain from sex and never have sex in our life. So first, two cultural myths that cause us to devalue sex as God intended it to be. Proverbs 30, 18 through 20 gives us both a picture of the beauty of sex and a picture of our first cultural myth. It reads this way. It says, three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on the rock, and the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin, referring directly to sex in that last phrase. We go from these beautiful, mysterious, powerful images to a jarring contrast when he says, this is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. Verse 20 actually points out our first cultural myth, one that is prevalent today. It is this, that we view sex as an appetite, as simply a desire. The adulterer satisfies the desire, and just like getting up from the table, she wipes her mouth and moves on, nothing wrong, nothing happened, just feeding the hunger I have. I mean, if we're hungry, you feed it, right? You, if you're hungry, you eat. Uh, the more exotic and tantalizing and tasty the food, the better we feel. The dominant modern view in our culture says sex is an appetite. Sex is like hunger. So our culture says when you want it, go get it with someone else who wants it. Go fulfill the desire, the need, your choice. Do as you please uh, with anyone who is willing to do it with you. No harm, no foul. It's the natural, needful thing to do. You're hungry, you eat. You need sex, you go have sex. Sex, in this cultural view, is in the end nothing more than a self-focused consumption, personal gratification. It is purely a commodity. We have a need, we get someone else to agree to fulfill it, and there is nothing beyond that. We like to look at prostitution in our culture still is bad, paying someone to have sex. But, but honestly, in this view, this dominant view of our culture, any sex outside of marriage, even if there is no money transferred, is still really just prostitution. All we're doing instead of using money is we are bartering to get what we need met from each other. You fill my need, I fill yours. We have an appetite for something. I may, I may have a strong attraction and want the thrill, and you may feel lonely and want to feel wanted and loved for a moment. So while no money is exchanged, 
we are still selling ourselves to each other in exchange for what we want. Elsewhere, Proverbs says that this kind of sexual transaction, it causes something good in you to die, leads you to destruction. And it's a trap that you don't even recognize until you are too late and caught in it already. I had a pastor friend of mine on the West Coast who destroyed his marriage and family through an affair a few years back. I called him on the phone right after I found out about it to try to see how I could care for him and help him process and recover as healthy as possible he could and and to maybe hope to be a support to him rescuing his family and relationships if he could. And he said to me, he said to me in the first conversation, he said, Ross, I just sat down and I had a drink with this woman when I was at a hotel on a trip alone and Honestly, the next thing I knew, I was in bed with her, and it was, it was such, such a powerful attraction. He went on to describe how he and his wife had kind of been in a rough patch and for a while, and, and, then, and then this just this powerful drawing, this powerful need. He says, before I fully really even thought about what I was doing, I was in the room and done having sex with her. He says, then I got up to leave, and he said, you know what she said? She said, I get that you want to leave, would you just stay the night? I feel so lonely. For him, it was pent-up sexual desire. And he bartered to meet that loneliness in another person to get his need met and to get her need met. It was just simple bartering, a commodity change, still no different than prostitution. See, seeing sex as hunger, as appetite, a simple drive that needs to be fulfilled just falls far short of the joy and the beautiful power God intends us to have in our lives and in relation to sex. On the other hand, the church and traditionalists are often infected with another myth that causes us to undervalue sex. We see sex as dirty, as tempting, as necessary for procreation. And unfortunately, this has been a tra- this traditional view has often affected great, even great Christian men and women and the church traditions. Jerome, an early church father, uh, furthered this myth saying, anyone who is too passionate a lover with his wife has already become an adulterer. Even Martin Luther said intercourse is never without sin, though he did add that God mercifully excuses it by his grace. The Catholic Church held this view at one point and over the centuries concocted rules on what days you could and could not have sex as married couples, saying things like, you shouldn't have sex on Thursday because that's the day of Christ's arrest. And you shouldn't have sex on Fridays because it's the day of his death. And you shouldn't have sex on Saturdays in order to honor Mary. So I assume that from that, Mary must not have enjoyed sex, so she needed a day sex-free to feel honored. I, I don't know what the deal is there, the thinking behind that. On top of that, no sex on Sunday because it's a holy day. And on top of that, no sex on all these church holidays and these other holidays. And the end result, the, the rules at one point was you could only have sex even as a married couple 42 days out of the year. This must have been the impetus behind everyone wanting a church calendar in their home because they couldn't, they needed to figure out what days they could and couldn't make whoopee. <laughs> sex is not dirty. It's not dirty. God created it powerfully beautiful and awesome and something to be desired and something to be sought after so that you can learn to experience all the good God intended, the good that has been tarnished by myths such as these and by other corruptions of sex. 
Now, there's also one cultural myth that causes us to overvalue sex, and that honestly drives advertising. It drives entertainment. It drives what we do and what we value. It drives the pornography industry. It drives discontent among both singles and married folk. We believe good sex, romance, and physical beauty are indispensable for a good life. Now, here's what this myth looks like in our culture. You can't have a good, it says you can't have a great life unless you have great romance and great sex often. And you can't have great romance and great sex without great beauty. This myth, in particular, drives singles people's discontent and intensifies the struggle that all of us face either singles remaining absence or even the intensity of the struggle in marriage. Because, for at least for singles, it goes this way. If I can't have sex, then I'm missing out on something really at the core of a good life. And I must accept a less than existence. Yet, this is so not true. So many great people in history have lived fulfilling lives and never married and never had sex. Mother Teresa, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Tori Ten Boom, the Apostle Paul, Daniel in the Old Testament. If I had more time, we could go on and keep listing for an hour people's names. Yet this myth drives 50-year-old men to trade in their wife for a younger model. It drives who is and who is not a leading lady in Hollywood. It is a significant driver of pornography. It, it drives the spending habits on our clothes and our cosmetics and our jewelry and our plastic surgery and our weight loss and our tanning products. The drive is so great that it creates its own subset of mental and physical disease and problems and sadness and pressure. And yet here's what Proverbs 11 says. It says, like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. So get the picture here. When you lack discretion as to what is honorable, right, and best and good, when you are driven to give yourself sexually, to fulfill a need in you, even when it's not wise and loving, you devalue yourself and you treat yourself like a pig, like a piece of meat. That's what that's saying. Every now and then I get to be in conversations with younger single men about dating and marriage. It's usually when a lot of women are around trying to talk about who they're setting them up with. And I get them to see them respond to that stuff, and I find all too often they say, well, I, I'm not really attracted to her. And I know the person being suggested is really quite beautiful, even if they aren't Hollywood beautiful. We prize physical beauty way too much. Think about it. If beauty is so vitally connected to having great sex then why is it that study after study consistently shows that the people who are having the best, most satisfying sex are long-term married couples in their 50s? Sags, wrinkles, falling, everything falling towards the earth and all. Proverbs 6 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Now understand this. Discipline... What is it? Discipline is restraining of desire to intentionally focus desire into a healthy, positive direction. The writer goes on and says that discipline is to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth talk of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? 
Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? When we overvalue physical beauty and sex, it leads to destructive consequences. Why? Because the power of sex, it draws you in, it grabs you, and then it burns you. Woody Allen actually was once said, sex without love is an empty experience. But as empty experiences go, it's one of the best. It has the power to draw you in in your imagination, to keep you thinking about that coworker, how cute he or she is, or how desirable he or she is, or, or, or you can't consistently restrain yourself from watching porn. You, you say you want to stop, but yet you can't. You, you say, I'm not going to do this, but you feel the drawing power of sex and pornography reaching out of the screen and grabbing you and pulling you in. You at first resolutely flip the channel, click away from that site and look at something else. But then you find yourself going back there, having justification conversations in your head that kind of go, well, well this, that scene's probably over. It, it's probably okay to watch now, knowing that it probably isn't or that at least there, there'll be more coming. But it still, it still pulls you in like a tractor beam sucking you in. And it starts to consume your thought life what would it be like to experience what I'm seeing with him or her? Because of overvaluing physical beauty, you find yourself pursuing pornography. You find yourself pursuing or having sex with people you shouldn't, that you know are destructive to your life. Or, or you are unable to see the beauty in someone else who would make a fantastic spouse because he or she doesn't meet certain physical preferences and you miss out on something really truly beautiful more beautiful than just physical beauty which for everyone else is going to fade and sag and wrinkle and it's going to go away sex as god created is so much bigger in fact the jewish and christian view of sex is the highest view of sex ever in the history of the world it's not prudish like many in the church try to make it out it's not just an appetite like we see all around us it's not just physical beauty and the thrill. The Bible teaches us that sex is so much more beautiful and powerful and good than any of that. Proverbs 5 actually helps us to begin to understand God's view, high view of sex. Women, this applies again directly to you even though it's talking to a man. It says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Cistern is this intentional metaphor clearly referencing the biology of women. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. Clear imagery of the male. Enough explanation. No more needed. Let's move on. And rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare them, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. You see, sex as God intends brings freedom, a delight, joy, and love, and feelings that are intoxicating. But sex outside of God's boundaries brings slavery and addiction, and traps you in sorrow. He dies, it goes on to say, for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. 
awesome, beautiful sex isn't found in simply fulfilling a desire. It is found in disciplining, in focusing desire in the right way, in the right place, at the right time. See, Paul adds something really powerful to the Christian view of sex in 1 Corinthians 6. And so even as I begin to read this text in just a second here, hear what is being said in light of where Paul is taking us. He's taking us to God's view of sex. He starts by saying, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated, controlled, compelled, enslaved, addicted to, or driven by anything. He's talking about true freedom there. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. Notice Paul is highlighting the appetite view of of sex. And he says, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised up the Lord and will also raise up you by his power, is what he's saying. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, quoting the Old Testament there. But he is also, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but sexually immoral person sins against his own being, his own body. Now, this could just seem like Paul is saying, you know, just you know, have sex with somebody and it obviously is talking about the flesh and you're together and it's only referring to the physical body. But that isn't what he's saying. If he was, what Paul would be saying elsewhere when he says God's spirit is poured out on all flesh is that somehow God just pours his, you know, spirit out on and you get a physical tingle or something like that. But that's not what it means. That word flesh and body in the New Testament doesn't just refer to the physical, but to the entire personality, the entire personhood of someone. What he's saying is sex is not just getting what you want. It isn't just something you do for an appetite. It is, in essence, giving your whole self to another to become one with them in every way. And he says it's with a purpose, to raise us up in every way into the perfection God originally created us to be, both in ourselves and in our perfection of relationship with him. So here's a good definition of the Christian view of sex. Sex is the fusion of two souls in an unbreakable connection and commitment to one another that is intended to result in the transformation of our lives. Let's break that definition down. The fusion of two souls. It's the idea of oneness. It's the idea of bringing wholeness to us. Loved completely for who you are. You are safe. You are uninhibited. You are able to fully give self-giving love to the other person, to be all in. Unbreakable connection and commitment. What is the love that we're searching for? Isn't the love we're searching for really a faithful love? Isn't that the reason that unfaithfulness, whether it's someone you're dating or someone who you're married to, is so very hurtful? We all want to be loved in faithfulness. But when we're driven by our culture's views of sex as appetite or beauty, we tend to date and try to find the perfect faithful spouse by practicing unfaithfulness and approaching sex from selfishly meeting my own needs instead of self-giving, honoring, faithful love. 
Is it any wonder that we find so many struggles in trying to find what we want in marriage? I mean, God's idea that sex is to be only enjoyed in marriage, it isn't a penalty. It isn't withholding something good from us. It isn't prudish. It is inviting us to the very thing that we long for, to find faithful love by practicing faithful, self-controlled abstinence when single and treasuring the gift of God that he's given to us so much while the dating that even to be self-controlled, to wait for marriage and demonstrate before we are married that we can be faithful by our abstinence. Why? Because sex is designed for and meant for a relationship of deep and full commitment. I mean, just as God was all in and committed fully to us even before we were committed to him, so also love and sex only thrive in the same kind of faithful commitment. And I think that's the reason so many studies say that married couples have far greater sexual satisfaction than singles who are sexually active. Now take that commitment out of the relationship, have sex before you're married, and what you're basically saying is, I'm not willing to commit yet. I just want your body. Uh, some of you are going to say, well, I'm having sex and, and, and I'm not married and I really love him and I really want to give him my all. Well, then why are you not married? If you aren't married, you aren't all in. I mean, come on, let's just admit it. You and I both know, as committed as you feel today, you retain the right to walk away, no strings attached at any moment. You're not fully committed yet. I often hear people blame that practice of trying to have sex before marriage and, and, and living with people together on a bad past experience. They say, I'm, I'm gun-shy and I have trust issues. And can I just say, I get the pain behind those things. I'm not diminishing that pain at all. I'm sure that pain is very real and very deep and very hurtful. But if you have that pain and that's your excuse, I suspect your experience that makes you gun-shy actually has something to do with somebody's unfaithfulness in your past. Whether it was a parent or someone who is unfaithful to you and wounded you in some way. So can I ask a question? How is having sex in an uncommitted relationship helping you trust the faithfulness and commitment of that person more? Wouldn't it be better to trust and test that faithfulness of the other person to see that the other person really loves you enough to be self-controlled and love you anyway, even while they're not getting the goodies of sex? Wouldn't that prove to you the faithfulness and honor that they have and the love that they have for you? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that prove and more powerfully healing to you to see somebody who would honor you that much and be that faithful to you? Now, wouldn't that actually heal your wound more deeply that makes you gun-shy? To know they are faithful and committed even without the goodies. See, the intended result of sex in the last section of that definition of committed oneness is, a personal, is personal transformation. Here's what the Christian view of marriage rockets to the highest peaks of, of the world and, and the other views are left down in Death Valley. Sex is one beautiful vehicle God gifts us with to help you experience and taste of the level of committed love he has for you. 
Experiencing that kind of love in sex is intended to create the safe and secure place where you can be both absolutely and fully loved and vulnerable, and you can also be fully open to grow into the person God created you to be and all the glory he originally created you to be. You see, sex is one way God helps you experience a measure, a taste of what his love is for you, that, that we can be one with him in the spirit and we can be perfected one day because of his promise to us. Within that context, Proverbs 5 that we read earlier illustrates sex as something to be greatly enjoyed, even for pure pleasure, not just for procreation, for enjoyment, for love, intoxicatingly so. If you're single, you could be easily thinking at this moment, well, gosh, I'm stuck living a less than life if I'm single and never marry. If I, if I choose to follow God's commands to abstain from sex outside of marriage, then I, I really miss out on God's best is what you're saying. But listen, Paul, a man who lived a single celibate life, says in the next chapter in 1 Corinthians 7, basically, let me summarize, he says basically, hey, those of you who are unmarried, it's actually good for you to remain single as I am. But for those of you who can't deal with the burning desire for marriage and sex, it's okay to get married as well. Now, why can he say that? Why can he say that? Paul says it's because sex and marriage point us to the perfect love God has for us and our ultimate hope of being perfected by God's love. And the truth of the matter is that while sex and marriage is a gift that God gives us to that can give us a taste of that hope, in our broken, imperfect world, marriage and sex can also distract us from that ultimate hope and ultimate goal that God has of loving and perfecting us. Paul says of men, the same is true of women. He says that later, but I just quoted the men portion right now. He says, the single man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. So uh, Paul earlier actually made that really explicit. He says, what that means in trying to please your wife is trouble, conflict, difficulty, because the reality is a good marriage is really, really hard hard work. And he says, your interests are divided. So as single people living faithfully to God, even if you never experience marriage and sex, he's saying you have an advantage that's blessed by God and that you can focus on the ultimate goal without the struggles of distraction by being committed to another person. You can have an undivided attention and reap the same ultimate transformation and reward that everybody else is going to get and maybe even more so reap that in this life because of your undivided attention to God and his goal. Paul does something amazing that's never any place else in history. Not only does he put a higher value on marriage and sex than any other view, but then he says, you have the freedom to not have it. And if you take that freedom, your life can be of higher value in singleness and abstinence than anyone else. He values both marriage and sex and singleness greater than any other cultural view you can find in all of history. See, Proverbs and Paul paint a picture that sex God's way is awesome and powerful and beautiful. And he also says singleness is really beautiful and powerful. And you are free to choose without pressure of any of the cultural norms on you. And you, if you remain single, 
you can live a really meaningful life without ever having sex and not miss out on, an, on anything really important in life. So let's land this thing and quickly distill by way of summary some of the wisdom proverbs that Paul gives us in regard to sex. A wise person sees physical beauty as a small piece of real beauty. Go ahead and enjoy the physical beauty God has given, but look beyond that to what really matters the most. And, and if you're married, then you too can have that great sex in your 50s after everything's begun to fade. Uh, the, the, that happens by focusing on developing those other important parts of you and by focusing beyond physical beauty to what is really beautiful in your spouse rather than just physical beauty. The wise person recognizes as well, godly sex is sex by design. And desire gets to tag along, but desire is not in the driver's seat. We direct sex into God's design. And in so doing, you find that desire is actually more fulfilled than you can even imagine. And science backs up what we already talked about that. And interestingly so, some thoughtful voices from the sexual revolution back this up. This guy named George Leonard, former editor of Look Magazine and a, a former president of the Association of Humanistic Psychology, is one of the more prominent voices in the 60s and 70s for the sexual freedom revolution. In his book, The End of Sex, he reflects back on that in writing this. He says, I see now that every game has its rules. I was a proponent of sexual liberation, but now I see that sex has rules. And unless you play by the rules, sex can create a depth of loneliness like nothing else can. Finally, a wise person recognizes sex points to God's love for us and our future hope and transformation, which begs the question of us, are you a follower of Jesus? Do you know him and do you know that hope? If not, you'll never have a chance of experiencing the fullness of the beauty of sex and marriage that God intends. Sure, it might be good, it might be fun, but there'll always be something missing for you. For some of you, you're caught and trapped in the destruction of pornography. Whether you are visiting porn sites or you're just watching HBO and some of the other t shows on TV that include pornographic material, God is inviting you to something so much more beautiful. But you won't experience that greater beauty until you learn to allow God to lead you to wisdom and the discipline of restraining and focusing those sexual desires in a healthy way. Uh, Stu and Becky White are forming or have groups running that are already where if you're struggling with pornography, men, you can join other men, women, you can join other women and find the support of, to come out of the shadows and link arms with other people who can help you find freedom in Christ that you want. Uh, if you guys would stand so people can see who you are and put a, a face to a name. So if you would like to talk to somebody safe or join a group where you're going to get support, you can talk to them. Their information is on the screen. Also on screen is a little link that you can take. Take a picture of it. There's a a little uh, assessment you can do to see uh, if sex is a problem that maybe you should pay a little more attention to so you can find the goodness God wants for your life. For yet others, you've chosen to follow Jesus, but the sexual arena of your life is an area where you are holding on to the world's views, culture's views of sex. You've never really bought in with your commitment and your life to God's view of sex. It's a question. How is God inviting you to respond today to his goodness about sex and how you express your sexuality and what that means in your life.
God has so much good for you in this arena of your life. If you're married and sexually active, and even if you're single and you stay abstinent the rest of your life, God has so much good for you in this. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, thank you for your wisdom that destroys the myths that think we all know are really unhealthy and we see the fruit of them in our lives putting pressure and driving us and, and and even making us do things across the course of our lives that we regret things that we know have hurt us have hurt others Lord you're a God who's so loving you speak to us honestly and even in the midst of our failure our deficiencies even in the midst of our inability because we feel unable we feel caught in some areas we feel like we can't get out you still come to us you say come on I forgive you I love you let's, let's walk out of this so Lord I pray that even as we continue to worship for each and every one of us here. And I pray especially for those who say, I've done, so many, I've done so many things in my life that are wrong. I've destroyed family. I've destroyed myself. I've destroyed relationship. I've damaged other people so much. Lord, I pray that any guilt associated with that, that you would come and you, you would just melt that with your love and your forgiveness and that we would be able to leave that in the past and walk into the good future you have for us that we can walk whether single and never having sex or married and learning to have sex the way you want us to have and all the joy and the intoxication that you want. Either way, Lord, we get to walk into the love you have for us and the transformation you have for us. That we can learn to be open people and loved people and loving Lord, just meet us now in this moment as we continue to worship in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O. T-O-West.org. Thanks for listening.